Welcome back, everybody, to We Are TPM with myself, Kyle Teixeira, sitting next to John Teixeira. We are back this week to discuss buying dilapidated rentals. And I did say that right. You did. That was pretty I good. Did. I like it. I did. So only took you... one take, too. We didn't even do multiple <laughs> takes. I like it. Do we ever do multiple takes? No, not yeah. usually. Yeah. Only. I think people would be surprised if we did, right? Only when Steve stops recording over there. Well, if you want to hear about our takes on anything, give us a call. 817-818-9039. Shoot us an email at showmethemoney at wertpm.com. I guess we should start this one out, John, but I'll let you describe what the word dilapidated means for yeah. our people who may not know. Or haven't gotten fence violations in their lifetime? (laughs) Well, it's just a rundown property that needs a bunch of repairs and a bunch of work, right? And so what's the advantage of buying a dilapidated property? It's... It's cheaper, right? That's what what you're looking... It is so hard. Since about 2011, it has been harder and harder because of economic conditions to find what people would call... Uh, define as a deal, right? Yeah. yeah. Something that is below market has just been harder and harder to do. And the only way to do that is by wholesale properties or to buy dilapidated properties. Yeah. And, and the, the, the scenario we want to take this topic in today is really buying. So basically buying a rental that needs work. And there's two scenarios we want to discuss too. Is is it occupied with a renter or is it vacant? Yep. So, um, you know, getting this going, we, we got, so you're buying a property with, let's, let's start with the occupied, right? You're buying a property at a discount and deal, you know, maybe off market and call it an investment purchase, buying it from another investor. Um, it goes to reason buying it from another investor if it's already occupied with a renter. So do you consider the renovations is your in this long-term investment you're making do, should you consider the renovations you need to make um while the tenants in there when they when they first leave you know these are all decisions you need to make um to to freshen it up to make it a move-in rental move-in ready rental that you will li- be limiting your maintenance for the life of this. So I, I see what you're getting at, Kyle. And so let me let me see if I can summarize your question and answer it a little different way. And that yeah. is, what you're saying is, you know you're buying a house that needs X amount of dollars to be fixed up, right? You already know that the AC is almost out. It needs a new roof and it needs up- updating because it's got 50-year-old flooring in there. You know what I mean? You know all these things, whatever it is. But you've got a tenant in it. Right. So you've got to count that as initial capital, like an initial capital investment. So what I mean is if you know it's going to take thirty, forty thousand dollars to fix this house up, let's use some numbers real quick. Let's say I'm buying a three hundred thousand dollar house and I was lucky enough because of the condition it's in to buy it for two hundred thousand. That's not too far off, right? Maybe maybe you buy a little bit more than that nowadays, but let's just say let's say I bought it for 230, a little okay. bit more realistic, okay? And so I'm getting a $70,000 discount, but I know that it's going to take me $35,000 in repairs cuz it needs a lot of work, right? And it's going to take me 35 grand to get it up. So now if I add that 35 grand to my purchase price of 230, I'm at 265. I'm still getting it about $35,000 below market even when you add my repairs, whether I do those repairs now or in the future. 
Mm-hmm. That's still the way to look at it is the, that 35000 still needs to be considered initial capital. Why is that, Kyle? What, well, what because, happens to us Well, and as property The biggest managers? thing you said there is I know, right? You know you need these repairs. Right. So like what people don't consider so commonly and what, why you're asking this is, is at, uh, acquisition. Why aren't you considering, you know, from the other end of this, why aren't you... Are you considering this, this, these repairs? Are are you not questioning why you're getting a three hundred thousand dollar rental for two hundred and thirty thousand? And so commonly, people don't. Right? They're like, okay, well, I'm getting a deal on this. It's got a tenant in it, and I can run it at two hundred and thirty thousand uh, capital investment. Where that's just not true. Um, well, once they start making income off of it and revenue off of it, then they start focusing on their cash flow. Mm-hmm. And that focus on their cash flow takes away from the big picture of why they bought it and how they bought it and makes them forget that they have this intrinsic equity into the home that they've completely forgotten about and they start focusing on all their repair costs Yeah, and their lack of cash flow when you've chosen to buy a dilapidated home, sometimes you've chosen to leave the tenant in there because there's sometimes there's no reason to push a tenant out in a dilapidated home. You know it's going to need renovation anyways. So let that tenancy play out. Keep pushing their rent to market rents, and eventually they're going to leave. They're going to leave in two to three years anyways. So, Yeah, and this is something that commonly we get asked to do, right? Yep. And, then, and then all of these factors that, like you said, you should know and that you know get get – pushed to the side and, and not considered, right? So um, you're getting this huge discount, market discount on the purchase price, and you're likely having an occupied tenant that's paying a discounted rent, and now you want that pushed up to market rent without giving a market property, right? Right, right. exactly. Um, if you do that intentionally knowing that... You're probably pushing them probably out. Probably pushing them out so you can do a fresh renovation, right. that's at least knowing all the details of what you're doing. That, that makes sense, right? But... When you now have that $35,000 renovation when the tenant moves out and you're surprised about it, we're surprised that you're surprised. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the problem is we get, oh, how come we're spending so much money on repairs or on an ongoing basis, right, to keep the property just livable or, okay, they're moved, they've moved out and here's your bill and it's $35,000 and it's like, oh, crap, I'm losing money on this house. Well, no, you're not. You should have already counted this and factored this into your purchase mm-hmm. at the original. Even well, if and, that was eight years ago, I don't. I don't care when it was. You should have factored it. So, in, in tax <clears throat> basis, in a tax basis, right? This would be considered an improvement and upgrade, right? Right. This would be added on to your acquisition cost and your capital. Uh, this would be added into your capital investment of the property, not an expense, because. Like you said, it should your your cash in would be two sixty. That's how your accountant's going to draw it up. As now you're at two two uh, seventy or whatever it is, right? right. Um, that's how your tax bill is going to write it up. That's how every step of the process, except so now you look at it repairs when your property manager. So what you're saying <laughs> is that thirty five thousand dollars is handled on a tax basis the same way, regardless of whether you spent it. At purchase, at the time of purchase, or if you spent it three years later when the tenant left. Correct. So if you bought, and this is why we're talking about the two scenarios, occupied versus vacant. So if it's vacant and you buy this property at two thirty-five, and you put that $35,000 into it up front, 
Now on your tax basis, it's going to add those two together as that's your acquisition cost, essentially. You know, they have certain tax words for it, but that's your that's your capital, capital initial cost. Capital, and initial then, capital investment, yeah, right? That's it's your initial capital it. investment. And then from there, you know, you have your expenses and stuff. Right. But the only difference in these two scenarios is when this happens, right? Practically. And how it should be analyzed is when this happens. Now, in reality, what we see is all varying um, perspectives, I should say, of, you know, and this all comes down to advice and, and things acquisition. And I don't want to feel, bring this up as if we're like bringing this up because we're singling anyone out, right? No, no, no. Over this is a most, common, most of common our rentals that and our clients have one of these scenarios when they purchase properties. The The way it's dealt with is completely different. And I think just from experience, um, you should be making a decision at acquisition. Like when we do these acquisitions, we make this decision is do we want to freshen up this property at the beginning or, you know, at the first turnover or over time, which we believe is the worst. That's yeah. a, a lot of people opt to do it over time. Well, one, now you are kind of looking at those as an expenses yeah. and 35,000 over time, not being done all at once probably turns into 60. You probably eat up yeah. all your equity that you bought. Yeah. You, the yeah. reason you bought the dilapidated property. And at that point, why didn't you just buy a brand new occupied rental or a brand new unoccupied? Which we're going to talk about that scenario, but, but, but you're right. And I think what you're getting at is that, that people have varying degrees of memory about why they purchased a home, right? <laughs> yes. Like, and varying degrees of, so everybody at the time of purchase loves the the, the deal, right? Oh, I'm buying at 230, I'm putting 35 in, whether I do it now or later, whatever, doesn't matter, I've got $35,000 in equity. They love that deal. But then when it's time to spend the 35,000, if it's too far away and their memory is too short, then... They forget the important part of this all and the reason why they bought it was because of the intrinsic equity, mm -hmm. right? The, the $35,000 is still there and now two, three years later, that thirty-five is probably forty-five, right? Mm -hmm. Like so it's still there. Like let's not forget that and, and, and call it a loss on my rental, right? Like and add it into your, your repairs, your normal repairs and call it a loss. No, you, you anticipated that. Let's should have. You should have. Let's let's Well no, you did because when you bought a property for whether you look at it the way we're describing it or not, you knew you bought a, a property that's worth three hundred thousand for two hundred and thirty. Yep. So if you, you knew, knew that, that uh, you knew why. You at least knew that and that's why you purchased it. Yep. Yeah. Even so. if you didn't know the condition, because we have had investors that didn't even didn't even do inspections and or or inspect a home themselves and purchase. We've had that happen well, too. Well, sometimes it's worth the risk. It's like, all right, yeah. well, if I'm getting a hundred grand off right. and there's there's a tenant living in it, it goes and and maybe you're getting Can't this hundred grand off without being able to look at it, right? You know, your worst case is that you have a hundred thousand dollars in renovations where somebody's currently living. Well, it's dependent on what you're buying. If you're buying a two, you know, two bedroom, two bath, half duplex, then you know about what your worst case scenario is going to be. If you had to renovate every surface in that place, you know you're not going to spend more than, you know, whatever that number is. Mm -hmm. um, and that's how you figure your worst case scenario, right? So in that scenario, I mean, shoot, there's hardly any risk because there's no way you could spend a hundred grand on a small place like that. Well, and I think there's a lot of either not 
proper proper advice or maybe the acquisitioning agent or maybe there wasn't an agent involved at all, right? You know, investors have varying degrees of experience, of advice and all these things. But in a perfect world, when you buy this 230, we were, you said 230, right? Yeah, yeah, that's what we started <laughs> You at. buy this $230,000 property and estimate 35 grand in repairs and you're considering all this at the beginning, in a perfect world, you'd purchase the t- at two thirty and put the thirty five of expected repairs into a separate account or reserve for this property. Wow! And that will wow because people be are get so caught up these different scenarios. Most of them involve people getting caught up on their cash out of pocket, right? <laughs> yeah. So if you take that out of pocket at the beginning, like you estimated and like you 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 right. analyzed the deal. You can look at it two years down the road if it, if that tenant stays for two years and now you got to do that renovation and say that money was sitting in an interest-bearing account, whatever. You can now look at, okay, does that get depleted and now I'm spending more than that and more than I even earned in cash flow over that two years? Okay, well, then I, my, my analysis was off and I'm losing money on this property compared to what I initially planned. But if you don't do that or you don't look at the figures that way, then you can't really make the determination of whether it was a a gain or a loss on your purchase. Um, I love that. And that's one of the reasons why I like, I always consult with people and advise them to open up a separate account for their rental properties, right? I actually like what you said in in this example, when you do this, is maybe even taking that a step further and having a separate account for each property so you can see what that actual property is doing and I love that that suggestion you just made is a great one because then you can't blame anybody for her, you know, um, how they helped you make that decision, right? Because you made a, a point earlier, and that is every agent, depending on who your agent is, they all have different levels of experience. They also have different levels of motivation, mm-hmm. right? Like our motivation is to help people build wealth, right? Period. Yep. We have a really organic and, um, you know, an integrity-filled uh, moral character with how we are motivated to consult with our clients, right? And not everybody's got that. Not everybody's got that same level of expertise. Not everybody has the same motivation. Maybe, hey, you, you get a hold of a new agent that's just looking for a deal, right? That they'll, Sometimes they'll tell you anything just to get you to sign on the dotted line and close on something, Mm -hmm. right? And so having somebody in your corner that is giving you great advice that you know through and through is is has the right motivation for you um, is important. Well, our biggest thing for this topic is bringing this advice Uh to investors because some a lot of investors buy these properties without agents, without advice, right? Yeah, and. These you it, it's probably our biggest point in everything we do is like you have to consider these things, and if you don't consider them and you hand, and then you ask for example you ask your property manager for a market rent rate, and you hand them this dilapidated property and say I want this to get to market rent rate, then you should be expecting to do the repairs <laughs> to get it to market That's rent right. rate, and when the tenant moves out and you know now you have like you you and then you blame the property manager for the the $35,000 in repairs that we mentioned from the beginning, it's it's just not good for anybody. It sounds you know? to me like this has happened to you. Well, this happens all the time. <laughs> I mean, we've, we've had this conversation from the later on, we have to have this conversation, and we'd love to have this at the beginning, right? Um, 
But know. again, we you have to like you don't want to step on toes either. You know, do I want to tell every single investor when they're giving us properties? You know, did you do your due diligence? You know, that's literally questioning. Because you weren't hired to advise them on that acquisition. Right, you know, right. if you were, that's a whole different story. Right. But if you weren't, are you going to question the experience, the advice of the – and the knowledge of not only the investor or their potential agent? No, you're not. It's not your job. Right. You know, so um, – and if you do, you know, <laughs> right. now you got all other problems. Right. So um, – Well, okay. So let's talk about – Let's talk about our opinion of which way you probably should do it, right? Well, okay. Let's give another example. Let's give the opposite example because we have we have plenty of those, and we have we actually have. Well, there's one investor in mind that we talked about recently that you and I were mentioning how you know like this is one of the easiest clients we have. We never hear from them. They don't have a lot of repairs on their properties. There's, we don't have a lot of interaction with this with this owner, and he just he calls us once a year for his tax documents, and and like, and and then he calls us every once in a while and says, "Hey, I got another property for you, and here it is," and and that's that's the extent of, which sounds easy for us, but the, we were talking about the reason. Tell me the reason why this particular owner we don't have a lot well, of and, interaction and, and with. It's not necessarily the interaction, but it's the investment strategy that he takes, right? right? And all of this comes down to having an investment strategy that is specific. Because we're talking about different specific investment strategies and the problems that come from not having a specific one. And his strategy is the opposite of the one we've well, been talking about. Well, yeah, so this is interesting. His, his strategy was buy brand new houses – that, you know, because brand new houses don't need a lot of repairs and maintenance and have three years of builder warranties. So while I don't talk to him very much and a lot of our, <laughs> our, our issues have not been dealt with with him, that's because we're dealt with them with the builder for three years. He basically gets free repairs and maintenance for anything that wasn't caused by the tenant. And even if it's caused by the tenant, then you're charging it to the tenant, right? Yeah. So uh, he's limiting – his strategy is to buy these new properties and leverage – these call them warranties as well to have a very low risk on his cash flow projections is is kind of how you'd say it. So like say his cash flow is minimal. It's like when you first buy it, it say he's only making a hundred bucks a month. Well, there's a very high chance he's not doing a lot of repairs and that won't be eaten up. And then that rents will go up over time. This was his strategy. Um, and a few of these, when that builder warranty rolled, ran out, he sold them. For a profit, you know, well, so he had a long-term, short-term strategy. So, it, I'm sure you have a. Well, yeah, some... no, the, it's it's a little bit more. You you've simplified it, right? Yeah. So so so. It's not just that. Well, first of all, it's hard to find a builder warranty longer than a year that's going to do much for you. Well, it wasn't okay. when he bought them. So, <laughs> the 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 do appliances and stuff for two years and all that. So I don't want anybody out there to think you can buy a home and get an under warranty by the builder for three no, no, years no, no. because you, you're you're leaving out because I dealt with these warranty issues. So I, I want to specify he he negotiated in the builder warranty was like a year. Usually he would negotiate it to two years and negotiate that they gave him a home warranty for three years. So he combined the two. Okay, but very unusual. All I want yeah. people is not to have that expectation that they can do that because it's extremely unusual. Um, the point being that he didn't just buy 
homes that were move-in ready and brand new, but he also bought higher end homes and higher end neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. So this is, this is, makes this whole strategy even different because, um, now you have tenants that are more well off that have more pride of, of not ownership, more pride in their home. Mm -hmm. Right. And they take better care of it. They have the money to take care of it. They have the know-how sometimes to take care of a home over a tenant that lives in a $1,500 a month house. Right. And they Um, have, and they're all in HOAs that are very nitpicky about having a weed in your yard (laughs) or anything like that. That's right. So the HOA helps you a little bit. Yes, Yes. exactly. As well as your property manager. And it uses all these, leveraging all these things. And I remember it's not a strategy you see very commonly. And we've found we've been intrigued watching this strategy and seeing how it when has he first resulted. when he first did this he didn't consult with us at all he just called us and said it was actually a referral from another agent hey i got this this client who's buying three houses brand new and he wants you to manage them boom there you go and he's closing tomorrow right like that's how that went and so we were we were not involved at all in the initial consultation, the initial evaluation of this strategy or anything. So I think you and I at the time were both like, wow, this is this is bold. And even I was surprised to see how easily we were able to rent these homes, how much more we were able to get for rent in these homes ever since. So some of these homes we've been managing for over 10 years. And every time they turn over, I mean, they, they rarely turn over. People are in them for six, seven years. And when they do, they turn over quickly and at the highest possible dollar that you could possibly well, imagine. It's, it's the most and, – and even though we weren't involved in the strategy and the acquisition, I, I had – when this initially started, I questioned it and he described his strategy very specific. And I, and I emphasize specific because the things you just said were not just random things. He He – um, strategized on turnover rates, on how often those rentals in those neighborhoods turned over, how how long people stayed there. I mean, he really dove into the nitty gritty before he bought these, and he buys one of the last houses in every neighborhood he's bought in. He will never buy the first one. It's always the last. Two of these were the model, which was literally the last. And I even asked him about that. He's like, well, until that happens, I can't get, you know, I won't have, he wants a certain level of confidence too. You know, he, he has all this backend data. So, I mean, it's, you know, now we're talking about the complete opposite of dilapidated property, but you know, this, these are the, the two uh, scenarios well, not two. There's there's so many strategies you could you could bring to this. But the reason we bring this completely other end of the spectrum is if you are going to be successful in this this strategy that we just brought up about this investor and see how specific he is in the strategy for it to succeed. The other end of the spectrum is when buying these dilapidated properties. Why not have that same level of specific a specific strategy. expectation. Yes. So like what can I expect to renovate this for? What can I expect to rent it for once it's renovated? What can I expect to rent it for in between its in between it being rented? Um what's it renting for now, you know? <laughs> so so what what I'm what I think what what you're saying, Kyle, and I think what our opinion is um is that both strategies are good. There's nothing wrong with either strategy as long as it's intentional and thought through, right? And 
and the expectations are 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 there for what you're about to do. Just understand what you're what you're doing. I like what the what the second investor is doing. I really like it. I think it's it makes for a stress more stress free experience for the investor, especially if they're managing it themselves. However, you know he's he has to wait longer with a brand new home to get any equity. That's the downside, right? So. In, in most brand new homes, you're, I'm going to say three to five years. It used to be five to seven years, but now it's more like three to five years before you start seeing any kind of significant equity. So you're waiting that period of time just to start building your equity where the other investor started off with some equity. Well, and these things are, speci- we're diving into more specifics that I think people need to consider more often, you know, because when he's not considering equity on these at the front end. He's considering cash flows, which is another thing that the dilapidated investor usually tries to focus on when their act, their strategy after, actually focuses on, to, yeah, yeah it actually it focuses on equity first. You're, right. you're obtaining equity first where he's getting cash flow. Cause he even in this scenario, he even dove into the insurance aspect of it. Right. I mean, insurance costs, you couldn't, nobody could have predicted how, how much they've gone up since, since this all started, you know, his strategy started, but they have, it's, it's gone up a ton. And even back then he said, well, the insurance cost is cheaper on these new houses. Um, not essentially cheaper, but they're lower risk for the insurance companies. And, you know, they don't, it, it's more comparable to the rent price you're getting. They I know they're say. not going to have to do a roof for, you know, 10 years yeah. at least. Yeah. So, so, and then in, you know, the dilapidated aspect, do you consider insurance costs? Do you ins- consider tax uh, problems? Um, well, this is a, this here, here's a specific uh, piece of your strategy that, that I see get left out way too often in, bites people really hard, especially in the last couple of years, is, um, and this is this, this going to be a testament to inexperienced advice or, or whatever, but is taxes. So mm. I have seen very commonly people are buying a dilapidated house that, you know, usually not tenant occupied in this scenario, but a dilapidated house where they go on the tax and they go look at the taxes on it and they're like, oh, the taxes are a thousand. Well, you didn't look at the exemptions, was there a homestead <laughs> exemption on there? Was there a plus 65 exemption on there? And a lot of times there's a plus 65 uh, exemption on there in this scenario, which freezes the tax bill and froze it 15 years ago or whatever in this example. So when when the city or the county sees that you purchased this property and it's changed ownership and you're an investor, you know what happens to that tax bill? It comes up to appraised value at current rates and everything. So that $1,000 tax bill is now four or $5,000, and you didn't consider that a year, and you didn't consider that. Well, you know, that's a specific piece of your strategy. Well, that, that goes back to having a great consultant at the beginning, too. Yeah, and experience. That goes back so. with good representation. And so if you have no representation or bad representation, then you're going to be surprised by that. If you have good representation, then you shouldn't be surprised by that. Yeah, and, and I mean, we didn't even know what to call this episode, right? Because this is an overall... This is more of like a what investment strategy you should you should take, but it's because it's been it's been something we have to advise on later so often that we really want to see people look at these things because think, it's, think, it's a difference between succeeding and and failing in your your portfolio building and you know nothing's really a failure, but it, it can make things take more time, right? And 
the, the, these, the specifics of your strategy could be the difference in 10 years down the road having 25 rentals and having five. You know, because of cost, because it costs out of pocket, because of things you consider. Maybe you wouldn't have bought three of those houses if you considered the renovations. You know, all these things, um, they play into the success of an investor's journey. So, and then there won't be any surprises. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, and then what if you don't have the money? People have a tendency (laughs) to put themselves in a box too, right? So they have a tendency to create a box and not think out of it. So for what I mean is, okay, I want to become an investor. I want to start buying houses. So I'm going to buy three tutus in this area around me. And I don't want to spend more than 175 grand or $200,000, right? And so that's the box they create for themselves. And sometimes people start buying in that box and then they, they stay in that box, for, for God knows how long, and they don't start thinking outside that box like this other investor did and realizing, okay, well, I could buy two or three $200,000 houses that are beat up that I need to put a bunch of renovation into, and, and I'm going to turn them over more often, and I'm going to have more turnover expense and more repair expense and all that stuff that goes with it. Or I could buy one four or $500,000 house in a brand new neighborhood and have kind of the same end result sometimes or a similar end result without without all the the other stresses, repair costs and turnovers that, that we have with the other ones, right? And so in an opinion, you know, we talk about our opinions of which strategy to go with. And like I really think that's dependent on the person, but I can tell you what strategies not to go with, I think is better because there's a median here. There's like buying dilapidated property, not considering the renovation costs because you don't intend to re- renovate it. You intend to barely patch it up as much as you can between every turnover and try to force market rent out of it. And that actually, in our opinion, usually gets you less rent over time, costs you more money over time, because instead of doing $35,000 renovation that would probably make this house last for 10 years, right? You do a $10,000 renovation every year because the tenant thinks it's too expensive, so you're turning it over every year, new tenants, right? Because of condition. You're doing 10000 at a time to just patch it up, paint it or whatever. That's right. And over 10 years, that's hundred grand, and a lot less rents. Because you're probably talking about a month every year where you're not getting rent. And, you know, these things compound. They just compound so quickly. And I don't want to scare people off about the dilapidated investment strategy because that's actually the one we do, right? So it's not like it doesn't, well, you know, it, it, it isn't the way to do it. I still think it's probably the, the most common way it's done because it works. Especially but, if you're using the Burr strategy. Yeah, it works. But you have to – but what's Burr? It's – Buy, renovate, rent, repeat. refinance, repeat. Yeah, so you're you're taking an R out, really. You're you're in in what I just talked about right. is you're not doing the renovations. You're not doing the renovations, and uh, you know the patch up and all that. We don't. That's not really considered a, a renovation, right? right? So, the the best way, in you know whether you keep that occupied tenant or not, um, like, and we brought up two scenarios: vacant or occupied, right? We're really just saying that consider that capital contribution at acquisition and whether you do it right after you acquire it or you do it after the tenant moves out, it doesn't really change your figures. It might change with the rent you get in between then and then and now, so you can consider that, maybe give them notice when the when the lease ends, whatever you gotta do, but a freshly renovated rental and this is done right. So I guess the uh, the other caveat here that I also bring up is a full 
renovation that should last years doesn't just look at the cosmetics. It looks at the systems of the home, right? So yeah, you could make it all look nice, spend almost as much as you should making it all look nice and leave that old AC unit, leave the old plumbing system, leave the old drains, leave, uh, you know, leave the old water heater and, and not consider these things that will come up as major expenses later. And I think that's the next biggest piece of, of, uh, that people leave out of their strategy. Like, so while you have all the walls open, like if you're renovating it and you have all the walls open or you have to redo all the flooring and now the floor joists are exposed and you have to do that anyway, should you just do the drainage system then? Cause it's going to cost you a lot less money depending on the, you know, is this a slab property or whatever? Um, because these are the things that I see people, investors that have specific um, strategies towards their dilapidated property purchases succeed. So especially if you're flipping it, there's well, we're not going to get into that. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking of a couple scenarios like it's you're not going to come in and we're not saying that you come in and just replace all the drains and the plumbing and electrical just for the sake of replacing it. It's but your point is that that. You need to know through experience, you need to know what to look for and, and how to manage the maintenance of that home, how the maintenance is going to be managed going forward so that you can have um, – so you can do it easily. Well, and, and also the long-term – the subtle long-term differences between doing that stuff up front and not doing it that really you can only learn from experience like, like the AC, right? You, you know it's an old AC, but it's working um, do you consider just replacing it then or replacing it two years from now when you're sure it's probably going to go out two years from now? Well, that uh, a manager could tell you that while that doesn't really mean much to you, that could be the reason that you lose a tenant because that old AC system could be costing them $400 a month in electrical if it, bills. If it takes you too long to deal with it, right? Like some people get all wrapped up in, oh my gosh, this is going to be because they spent $17,000 on their unit at home, right? And overbought re, and paid retail. They think it's going to cost them $17,000 and they don't realize that we're going to get it done for four, five, six, seven thousand, 7000 right? And, and they... They overthink it and try to get 18 quotes and negotiate everything down. And and then it takes, what, three, four weeks to get this done. And now you got a tenant in August that's sweating their buns off, right? <laughs> and and they're mad at you. And you're paying so, emergency costs. But, I mean, I guess that's underthinking it because it, from, from a high level, you could think, well, six grand now on an AC is no different than six grand two years from now on an AC. Well, maybe that's true to you, but if... This AC, if this inefficient old AC is causing the electric bill to be two hundred dollars higher than it would have been if you did replace it, then yeah, the only difference between you doing it now and doing it later is costing the tenant more money. Which okay, maybe not your problem, but if they they leave and then the well, next tenant leaves because of these high electric bills, which we see happen. Here's I mean, a better example for wrap this up is is oh uh, the valves on laundry laundry valves. Always that those. bites us <laughs> in the butt all the time. And when I'm doing a turnover, I go through and I look at the laundry valve. Look, the laundry valve may not be dripping, but if it's clearly 20 years old, then it's going to drip at some point. You know what's going to happen is your tenant's going to move out. You're never going to know it's dripping because it's dripping down into the hose because the washer's hooked up to it, right? 
So it's not really dripping. It's dripping into a hose. So nobody knows. And then the tenant moves out. They unplug their washer. They leave. And now you got water all over the laundry room floor because it's not, it's not, um, you know, because it's not, it's, it's dripping and you didn't know it for the past seven years while the tenant was there. And oh man, we, that happens so much to us. It does. And, and you know, I had a contractor, a plumber actually tell me, and I don't know how true this is it, it, experience wise. It seems true that those valves are rated for 10 times to be used 10 times. So turn it off, turn it on, like literally really? 10 times. Yeah. Huh. And then when you think about it, and I was like, why would that be? He's like, well, you move into a property, you hook it up, you don't unhook it until you move out, right? Yeah, yeah and appliance probably lasts 10 years, right? So the manufacturer thought, oh, get away with this cheap piece of valve. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how true that is, but it. I believe it considering how often these things Probably that get ten turned ten times. Now we're replacing it. I know the valves when when we put them in are a lot better quality than the ones we take out. Mm -hmm. And so, to to my my point is when we go to a turnover, whether they're leaking or not, if it's old, we just replace them because you know what you spend. $150 replacing two valves is a lot better than the headache and the money you're going to spend later on when, when you have a problem. Mm -hmm. And you know that that's going to be a problem, right? You absolutely know it. Like from our experience, you, there's certain things that you – like you said about the AC, there's certain things that you absolutely know are going to be a, a future issue and then you might as well take care of it now and, and get ahead of it. Mm -hmm. Well, I think we, we go on with a whole bunch we of different points it. but – the, the, the premise of this is have a specific investment plan when yep. you act, acquire investments. Plan I mean, accordingly. Yeah. I mean, and make it specific. Don't make it general. <laughs> yep. So if you guys have any questions, you need advice on any of these things or want to talk about the experience we've had with uh, buying dilapidated property or anything else, give us a call, 817-818-9039. Shoot us an email at show me the money at wertpm.com. And John and Kyle are out. 